Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you willing? Are you willing? Are you willing? Let's begin. Hey, gents. Welcome to another episode of Apex Masculinity, a high-performance men's coaching outfit designed to help you show up strong in every area of life. Raising the bar in fatherhood, marriage, finance, business, health, and all things manly. Gentlemen, let's begin. All right, guys, my guest with me today, coming back again, Mr. Simon Smart, men's confidence and performance coach. Simon, how you doing, man? Glad, glad to have you back. Nick, man, it's always good to rock and roll with you. I'm glad to be here. Uh, I know we got a great show planned, so uh, let's just get into it, man. I think uh, a, a lot of your episodes are so focused on just the things that are going to make a difference to men. So, uh, yeah, let's go. I'm jazzed. Cool, man. Let's do only because I've had 500 downloads in the last month, which analytically tells me that a lot of guys are finding the podcast recently. I'd like to attribute it to the fancy decal that I have in the back of my lifted power truck, bro. I got this uh, Apex Masculinity podcast decal in there, and we live in San Antonio now, bro. So I'm sitting actually in between San Antonio and Austin like two and a half million people here and I'm on the freeway all the time, bro. And I see people pass me by and then they're on their phone. I actually got a text or an email from a guy. Hey, we passed you the other day coming back from such and such, man. What's, what's your thing all about? And I'm like, Hey dude, check it out. Send him links to my book and stuff. But there's a lot of guys that don't know Simon yet. So why don't you, if you're all right with it, kind of give us the backstory on how you got into this emerging masculinity movement decades ago before it was even really a movement. That's a great story, man. I, uh, I, I would have thought it'd be women looking at the decal and the sexiest man in San Antonio. You're probably driving that pickup shirtless and they're like, I don't know what this is, but I'm, I'm buying. I guess I need a, I need a decal for the Jeep now. There you go. Um, Dude, I, uh, so I grew up in Scotland. Uh, my father is a really good man, great worker, engineer, uh, provided, you know, a good life for us growing up. I, I didn't have some of the, um, some of the real challenges that I know you had. I, I had like an okay life, but um, I, I moved out to Japan when I was in my early 20s. Moved out there because I've been studying martial arts for a while and I wanted to really understand Japanese these martial arts at a much higher level. Uh, the only thing you can do is move to the home place of, of martial arts. So I was out there and I was studying and I was learning a lot about myself. I was studying meditation and, and all kinds of different things. And I started to realize from some of the other guys I was hanging out with, a lot of military guys out there, a lot of Intel guys out there, a lot of just great martial artists. I started to realize that even though I was 20 years old and I was legally an adult, Nick, man, I felt like a boy. I felt like nothing had changed psychologically in me since I was maybe 15 years old. And so I just felt a little lost. I didn't really know who I was. And I think that's a real common experience, right, for men in our late teens, early 20s. But I was, uh, I was very lucky. I was blessed. I ran into some guys, one of whom had trained in traditional rites of passage with some of the Native Americans here in Arizona. And he'd been trained and uh, given the gift of passing that on to others. And he was teaching masculinity and rites of passage and initiation from boyhood to manhood 
back in uh, the early 2000s. We start to talk about the, the crisis of masculinity back then. And it's crazy to see how far the movement has come because back then you could tell people, hey, there's a, a crisis of boys not knowing how to become men. Uh, the chain of, of traditional masculine training from grandfather to father to son is broken. Boys are being raised by their mothers and they don't know what they're doing and no one's teaching them to be good men. And most people would have said, you know, it's not a problem, it's fine. Yeah. Uh, fast forward 20 years, it's really become, you know, pretty mainstream. You know, you can turn on uh, major news networks and we're talking about masculinity. Uh, there are major celebrities who built their entire brand on it. So I'm really happy to see that it's gone from a, a minor conversation to a major one, because as you know, things have not gotten better. They've probably gotten worse. But at the same time, I see a lot of people getting a lot of likes, getting a lot of uh, traction on social media by talking about it as a problem, but never talking about solutions. Okay. And I think you and I are much more about, you know, what is the solution at the individual level? What's the solution at the, the group level? And what's the solution at the national global level, right? Right. Yeah, no, I like it, man. That kind of led into my next question was going to be, how, like, why do you think men are struggling? Um, and how did we get to this place? Right? Why are men struggling? And how did we get to this place that we're at now? Touch on that if you could. I can. I mean, I can go on about it for a long time. It's been said before, so I don't want to labor the point too much. But uh, to me, uh, a lot of these changes, at least in the West, began with the Industrial Revolution, right? When, before the Industrial Revolution, men, boys, grandfathers were working in small villages, working on the farm, growing up together. You know, even before that, when, when the father was out on the hunt or the father went to war, the boy would be learning manhood skills from his grandfather in an ideal world. So we all grew up together. And then, of course, Industrial Revolution pops up its head, and suddenly the men are leaving the villages to go to the cities uh, to make money to send home. And suddenly that relationship between the boy and the father is, uh, is broken, combined with uh, urban pressure, right? In an urban environment on the factory line or in business, there's a little less pressure to perform at a traditional masculinity level. And so things have just gotten broken since then. You know, in the 1920s through to uh, the 19, well, 1914, huge amounts of men and fathers get machine gunned and gassed to death. That, that, removes, uh, that removes the warrior side of masculinity from a lot of cultures because the, the men who had that drive to go and fight for their families, go fight for their countries, they were the ones that, um, that didn't come back. Yeah. So that removed, with World War II, that's two generations removed. Uh, combined with uh, the feminism movement, which had so many great ideas, at least in the beginning. Right. Um, but, but unfortunately to me, feminism lost its way when it stopped being about promoting the feminine and became anti-masculine. Right. And so we have a lot of boys now who are raised without a father, uh, without a father figure, raised by their mother, uh, many of whom try their best to raise good men Mm -hmm. But it's difficult. It's, it's hard as a woman to raise a man because the, the brain and the way that we show up and our obligations and our duties are just a little different. So I don't want to go too far into a history lesson, but suffice no, to say really there have been um, just a number of challenges in each generation 
and it's gotten worse and gotten worse and gotten worse. And, you know, I think, man, this, this is going to sound a little defeatist of me. There was a time in my life when I was very focused on the mission of changing the culture. And then maybe I grew up a little bit. Maybe I realized, you know, cultures, millions of people, it has its own inertia that, that can go for generations and generations. And there are dynamics and tides of culture that come in and go out. And, you know, I think to a large degree, we've lost the battle at a cultural level for masculinity. And I know there's a lot of guys who are fighting for it and there's a resurgence, mm -hmm. but more and more, Nick, I, I think that we need to focus this battle at the individual and the family level. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's almost like going from open warfare to uh, guerrilla warfare, mm -hmm. where it's more about you and your family and your sons and your grandsons surviving and thriving and passing on the tradition until the next cultural shift comes along. Right. Where masculinity is highly valued and it comes along every couple of generations. It's usually uh, accelerated when there is famine. Uh, economic breakdown, warfare, suddenly the luxury of not needing a masculine man around disappears. Everyone forgets about that idea overnight because now people are focused on things like survival, leadership, practical thinking. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's when we need men who can not only thrive in their own selves, but have the capacity to provide such a level of leadership and contribution to their tribe their tribe understands they need those men around. I love it. So a bro. shift will come. Yeah, the pendulum always swings. I noticed even in my own life, bro, and this might sound arrogant and I and I and I hope I don't I don't want it to come across that way, but when I'm in my prime, like I'm spinning all the plates. I'm at the gym, I'm loving my wife, I'm dating my wife, I'm connecting with my kids, I'm managing my money, like I'm having influence with you know, the masculinity movement with my podcasts and my books. I'm, I'm living in alignment with my core values. Like I'm doing all the things to where I can sleep good at night. There is this power about me, bro. And even today at work, bro, we were getting after it for the Union Pacific Railroad Company. We were contracted to help them out. And uh, man, I was just out there in my mask and just like grinding, bro. And I'd look up and I'd see all of these dudes different ages staring at me almost like I was reverberating this energy where people were like that dude's that dude's fucking solid as fuck dude like what does he have you know like and you can almost sense that you're being I don't want to say just watched but people are like trying to figure out what they don't have kind of a thing and when you said fighting this battle at the individual level at the family level I think if we can get guys on board with this and get them to start working on themselves to get to that place where they're doing it right, they're doing manhood correctly, it will exponentially go out and start affecting the people in their immediate sphere, whether it's at work or at home or whatever the case may be. And guys are going to see that there's something different about this guy and they're going to want to know what's up. And then they see the decal on the truck, right? <laughs> yeah a hundred a hundred percent i mean that's that's been my experience uh i can walk into any place and uh this probably does sound arrogant if it does hey i guess i'm arrogant let's go yeah, yeah. Uh, i can walk into places and people notice me uh i bring an energy i bring a vibration i bring an intensity into any space i go to 
and uh, most people are attracted to it. Most yeah. guys are like, okay, I, 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 this guy seems kind of interesting, a little different. Mm-hmm. Um, man, I was, I was talking a lot with some guys this morning, Nick. Um, let, let's take this in a slightly different direction. Uh, there is a virus. There is a virus that is a social virus, a mental virus, which has infected billions of people. And the virus is the desire for mediocrity, the desire to be average, the desire to stay in a comfortable little battle, uh, little bubble. Mm. Uh, no matter how much that bubble might suck, people want to stay there. Yeah. And to me, a big part of masculinity and manhood, and those two are, I think, different things. Um, but a big part of both of those is the constant struggle every day to recreate yourself, to reinvent yourself, to make yourself one fraction of a percentage point better than we were yesterday. And when you compound that over weeks, months, years, decades, what starts to happen is you walk into a space and you're not like most other people. Most other people have settled mm-hmm. for you know crumbs from the table of life. Yeah, mediocrity. And as yep. mediocrity, like, hey, you know, I'm just above broke. Uh, I, I get laid once a month. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm overweight, but I'm not as overweight as the next guy. So it's kind of okay. Right. Um, that's, that's the virus, man. And so what we need is more men who are willing to deal with some pain and deal with some truth and deal with the work that it takes to begin to break free of the gravity of that social virus Mm-hmm. And stand up and say, hey, you guys can do what you want, but that's not fucking me. I'm right. standing up. I'm standing up for myself. I'm standing up for my family. I'm standing up for the next generation of my family. And uh, all you people with this virus, I love you, but I got no time for you because I'm working on something better. Yeah. And when you're, when you're doing that, Nick, and I know you're doing that every single day, people see it. There's a vibe. There's an energy. There's something different. And that is how we begin to win people over because young men see that they don't know what it is, but they know, Oh man, I want, I want a little taste of that. I I want that for myself. So setting the example every day, man, that's, that's the battle. hundred percent. Let let's, let's go a little deeper with that because something you mentioned that I pulled out of there was doing the fucking work every day. So if guys are listening to this and they're like, man, I'm on board already. I'm fired up already. What is the work? What are things that guys can do practically on a daily basis to begin to work on themselves, to start growing into becoming a solid, grounded, self-mastered man? Such a good question, right? And I have a mentor, Nick, who says that uh, prescription without consultation is uh, malpractice. So I don't want to be the guy that comes out here and tells other men what to do. I mostly know what I need to work on in my own life. And uh, I have a, I have my hands full with that, to be honest. Um, I have my own craziness and insanity and my own bullshit and my own ability to lie to myself and my desire to be comfortable and my desire to be lazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, daily battle, daily battle. Yeah. And so, but here's, here's how I'm going to answer that. And we can probably, I will get to a prescription or at least a suggestion of a prescription uh, by the end of this, but there are limitations on who we can be. There's limitations on our ability to have high performance. And by high performance, you know, that means something different to everyone. But for most of it means 
It means raising my income level and my wealth vibration significantly. It means being in the best shape of my life so I can fight, so I have high energy every single day, so my wife is attracted to me, so my kids are inspired by me. I mean, there are some basic metrics, right? But here, here are what I have observed as the, the limiters, okay? I'm going to give you a little list. The first limiter that I see for a man's ability to reach his potential is energy level. I see a lot of businessmen held back by energy level. I see a lot of guys who are smart, hardworking, but the energy they bring to what they do is so low. Mm. Here's the thing, man. Developing high energy is not a mystery. You eat clean. You get enough sleep. You hydrate. You get lots of oxygen into your body through breathing deeply. And you get sunlight. And you have a purpose. If you get those things, you instantly have the energy that crushes almost everyone else. You got to understand that when you start to get into the game of personal development and bettering yourself, it's an empty fucking playing field. No, no one else is even playing the game. So winning is not that hard. Right. You just got to be on the field to win. And the first step is raising that energy level. The next thing that I see as a limiter is, is vision. You know, how big a vision can you come into the game with? And, you know, for a lot of men, you know, guys, you know, growing up in broken homes, uh, growing up with nobody having much, everyone just have, has enough to kind of make it by. It's hard to have a vision. Yeah. So one of the things we've all got to do is begin to figure out how do I raise my level of vision? And in doing so, how do I raise my personal standards of achievement, my personal standard of excellence? Right? How far can I go? I was talking to a group of, group of men this morning, and we were talking about um, you know, how, how much money is really out there in the world and ways to just raise your, your vision around money. Because if you can't imagine it, or if you can't figure out what you would spend a much higher income on, you're never going to have it. Uh, there's this weird thing where people always seem to have the amount of money they can envision. And uh, you know, the, vi the vision is a big limiter. Creativity is a limiter. Uh, one of the biggest limiters I see on men is this, uh, this courage level. Uh, a lot of men haven't had a lot of physical confrontation. They haven't physically tested themselves. They haven't mentally tested themselves. I see men who are terrified of verbal confrontation in business or with their boss or with, with a woman. And uh, you got to have that, that, that courage to, to face life head on. Um, you got to have that self-belief, right? I mean, you and I, I know we've talked about this before, Nick. No one has an obligation to believe in you except you. Mm -hmm. And what you achieve in life and what you can do, it's so defined by your level of self-belief. Mm -hmm. And when we start to base our self-belief, Nick, on our past experiences and how we grew up and what people around us did, what other people think we should do, we're drowning just in other people's bullshit. And I think as a man, there's a point where you have to just step back and say, man, fuck this. I am going to have just unreasonable levels of belief in myself because why not? Yeah. You know, why not? Yeah. Why not just me be the guy who fucking believes in himself? I may not be where I want to be yet, but you know, I got a good heart. I got a good work ethic. I'm smart. I can figure stuff out. I'm going to make this thing happen. And then the other two limiters are community which is an area I see broken for a lot of men. 
Uh, I see a lot of guys who are just, you know, lone wolves. Uh, they don't have brothers who are going to support them and hold them accountable to a high standard. And that becomes very difficult, becomes very lonely. It's easy to isolate. It's easy to lose your confidence. It's easy to lose your momentum. You know, you've got to have men around you. And then the last thing that I see as a limiter for, for men developing in their masculinity is um, capacity of their central nervous system. Capacity of the central nervous system. You know, right our up. brain and our nervous system is so fried by the level of chaos and noise in the modern world. TV, social media, uh, endless, endless, endless distraction. The entire world now is set up to steal your attention from the things that are important to you and move your attention on the things that are important to them. And so our nervous systems are fried. Yeah. And so developing habits of better sleep, practicing some meditation, practicing breathing techniques. Uh, right now, my 13-year-old's been in the pool because it's summertime. Uh, one of the things I have him training on, Nick, is uh, holding his breath. But what I've got him working on is when he runs out of breath, um, you know what the body wants to do, right? You're underwater, you're out of breath. That panic starts to come into the body. I got to get to the surface. I got to go. I got to go. So what I'm having him do is experience that panic and just count to three or count to four and just endure it and just learn that it's just his body. It's just a nervous system thing. Mm. He's fine. You know, he can spend another five, 10 seconds under the water. Yeah. And so that intentionality around developing the capacity of our nervous systems, I think it's so important. Uh, I was talking to a, a great guy the other night, great martial artist, and he's found himself snapping at his wife over nothing. And he knows it's nothing. Like she asks him to take the garbage out when he's in the kitchen. She asks nicely and he's getting agitated and he's trying to figure it out. He's like, I love my wife. I don't mind taking the garbage out. In fact, I'm happy to. Why am I getting this aggressive, passive aggressive anger coming up? And all it is, is his nervous system is at overload. Yeah. And that one more thing, no matter how reasonable is pushing him over the edge. So those are the things that I think are the big challenges, Nick. Mm -hmm. And the prescription is simple. Um, go to the gym. Get <laughs> fucking strong. Yeah. Lose, yeah. If you're fat, if you're fat, decide to stop being fat. Just decide. There's no, there's no mystery to how to do it. You fix your diet and you get more exercise. It's just a decision. Yeah. So get fit, get strong. Not only will that make you so much more confident, it's going to change your posture. It's going to change the way people react to you. I don't know if you know this, but we're primates. You know, you know who primates follow? The biggest primate. Right. Now, you can't adjust for height, but you can definitely adjust for uh, strength. And people respond differently when you walk in with a little bit of muscle on you. Um, you know, learn about money. Learn how not to waste money. Learn how to make more money. Learn how to market and sell and speak and communicate. Even if you don't work for yourself, those things will get you promoted, will open up other opportunities for you. Yeah. So much opportunity is available. You know, I've, I've worked in the uh, services industry for years. We can't find good workers. We certainly can't find good workers who want to work hard and communicate well and, and work on themselves. I would pay double for that guy. Right. Yeah, it's easy, right? to, shine. It's easy to shine these days, I've noticed. Man, there's no one on the fucking field, Nick. No <laughs> one's trying. It's never been easier to win. Hmm. There's no competition. You yeah. just have to say, hey, I've had enough 
of what I'm dealing with. I've had enough of looking myself in the mirror and being pissed off. I've had enough of my wife being disappointed in me. I've had enough of my kids looking at me and thinking, eh, he's okay as a dad, maybe not great. Could have done better. Right. I'm tired of that. I'm getting on the field. I'm going to get in shape. I'm going to develop my money consciousness. I'm going to make more money so I can actually provide the life I want and my kids want and my, my, my family and my tribe wants. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's the next piece? Relationship, communication. You know, stop, stop just being in a marriage and start acting like you're married. Stop just being a dude who has a girlfriend. Start romancing her. Yeah. Start being the masculine pole of the relationship so she can be the feminine pole of the relationship. And get your mind right. You know, all this shit we all carry around from childhood and the thing that that kid that we don't remember his name on the playground said to us once or the way a teacher looked at us funny when we were six, none of it matters. None of it matters. Nobody's thinking about it but you. You're, you're, you know, uh, I had a great conversation with a guy on Sunday. He's had such a hard life, major, major trauma. Nick, how many times should we experience trauma in our life? I don't know. Something happens to us. You tell us. Well, how about once? How about the only time you experience the trauma is when it happens? This guy's experienced the trauma thousands of times Mm. over and over and over in his head. Yeah. thinking about it, remembering it, feeling about it. Like he's a world-class expert at bringing up the feelings of something that happened when he's a kid. Yeah. No one's doing it to him, just him. Yeah. So get a good therapist, learn meditation, journal. I mean, if, you can, if your system can handle it, take some psychedelics, but deal with your shit. Leave it in the past. Start working on the future because it can be whatever you want it to. Right. I like it, bro. It's good. I was writing notes right there. We were talking, bro, as fast as I could, man. So we're going to go over a couple of things I want to unpack out of that. You were talking about the belief system that a man gets to the place where he starts believing in himself, realizing that no one else is going to believe in him. He's got to own that. I think what fights guys the most in truly believing in their ability to succeed is dealing with shame and regret for dirty deeds gone by. What would you say to the guy that's got a trail of just regretful decisions, people he's wounded, times he's dropped the ball, uh, sexually immoral things, um, you know, just not living in alignment with his core values, and he's trying to work up the courage to believe in himself to be a better man, but he's haunted by these memories of detestable and regrettable deeds from his past. How would you, how would you, how would you uh, minister to that guy? Oh man, that is such a great question. I love that. Here's what I'm going to say. You know, uh, what I think the trick is there is to say these words. First, you own it. I did those things. No one made me do them. I had choice. I had agency. I had free will and I did them. And then Nick, you know what you say next? But that wasn't me. That wasn't me. Do you know why I think that uh, born again Christians have such a great technique for helping men with this? Because you're born again. Mm. You leave your old life. Yeah. It's done. It was a different man. You still own it, but it was a different man. Yeah. And you can do that any day of your life, any moment of your life. You can take a look in the mirror and you can say, I did some bad shit. I was probably hurting. 
or I, you know, I was on drugs or, you know, I was in a bad situation, but it was still my choice. And I did those things, but I'm choosing to be a different man, but you have to really choose. I mean, you can't just be like, I feel like being a different guy just to make myself feel better. It's a, it's a moment you will feel to the core of your soul. That's the level of change we need. And then the things that are done that are done, but you know, if you have a, a mess to clean up, what do men do, Nick? We clean up our mess. Yeah. We own it. We go back to those people. We apologize. Maybe we spend a couple of years trying to make things right. Or maybe we're surprised that people forgive us. That can happen too. Yeah. Men are always surprised when they've done bad things and they go back to um, get some penance. Mm-hmm. And the person says, I understand why you did it. I forgive you. Yeah. Because we never expect that. I like it, bro. I like it. Something you touched on when you were talking earlier about romancing your wife and how when a man's being a man and in his masculine, like she can't resist. I've noticed in my own life over the years, times when I've checked out as a man for whatever reason, whatever pitiful excuse I want to give. I lose my wife's respect. Obviously it affects the bedroom, but it also, but more importantly, bro, it affects the relationship, like the bond. But when I am spinning the plates and I'm taking care of it and I'm getting after it and I'm doing all the things, right. I'm like managing the money, right? Like we're on top of things financially. I'm interacting with my kids, taking my kid to basketball, like walking the dogs with my daughters, like um, going to the gym, making sure I'm, eating right, living right, doing right, living in alignment with my core values and setting the example, dude, my wife falls in love with me all over again. And it's almost like she can't resist. And it's actually kind of fun to watch her get Twitter pated (laughs) all over again. You know what I mean? I'm like, Hey dude, I kind of like this, man. This is incentive to like stay on track. You know, it's a good thing, bro. It makes you feel good. Like that's kind of like the piece de resistance for me to know when I've hit it when I'm, when I've, when I've hit it and I've arrived is how my wife interacts with me. And it's a good thing. Women are such an amazing mirror for who we're showing up as, uh, women who are bitchy and angry and aggravated and want to argue with you and undermine you. I hate to break it to you, man. They're a mirror. Yeah. 90, 90% of them. There's, there's a few women who are themselves broken. Mm. And who enjoy causing pain for a man, but uh, that's that's the minority. Most women are just a mirror. Uh, let me be completely honest, Nick. Uh, my girlfriend and I had a tough time last night. Uh, the last three or four months, as you know, I pivoted in my business. I left a really lucrative consulting position uh, in the home services space because I wanted to get back to doing what I love best, which is helping men become better men. And my income took a hit. Of course, it would. You know, I, I knew it was gonna, and it did. And I'm building back, but that comes with a little bit of stress. You know, when you're used to having a pretty high income, and uh, you just throw it all away, and everyone thinks you're crazy, and you're mm-hmm. the only one who believes in yourself, that can be a, a little bit of a dark road sometimes. Um, you know, I love what I'm doing. It's beautiful, but there are days when I'm like, you know, I start to second guess myself, and guess what that has meant? That has meant she has noticed there are times when I'm more stressed. And when I'm more stressed, you know, I'm a little less connected to her. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm more wrapped up in my own bullshit in my head because yeah. I'm, I'm making, playing pretend with things that may or may not happen. And I'm playing pretend, well, maybe it's not going to work out. Maybe, maybe I'm going to fail. Maybe I'm going to let people down. Uh, I'm not, but I have those thoughts. Yeah. And she feels that. And we've noticed the last couple of weeks, a little disconnection. And of course, she's noticed it way more than I have because I'm just doing my thing. Right. She's felt it. And I felt her becoming a little bit more easily aggravated with me and argue with me just a little bit. She normally never does. Do you know why women argue with us, Nick? Tell me. Based on a, a significant amount of research, <laughs> <laughs> women argue with us. <laughs> women argue with us when they don't trust us anymore. The, the most beautiful words I think a woman can hear from a man are three words. Everyone thinks it's, I love you. It's actually, I've got this. I've got this. I'm the man. It's all handled. Don't mm-hmm. worry. We were talking about a man's central nervous system earlier. When a man looks his woman deep in the eyes and says, baby girl, I got this. Don't worry. Her entire nervous system begins to settle down. Mm-hmm. She doesn't have to worry. She doesn't have to stress. She knows his work to be done, but he's got it. The leader is leading. She can now be a feminine woman and support the leader. When the leader is lost, that's terrifying. Mm-hmm. I'm a big fan for men of studying some evolutionary psychology. It will, whether it's accurate or not, as a map of the territory, will just begin to make women and men so much easier to understand. So let's go into that just for a second. Sure. Many, many, many moons ago, we lived in caves. <laughs> I actually don't think we did. Uh, there weren't enough caves to support a population of humans on the planet. There's like 10 caves in every state, right? So I think we had villages that disappeared and then our super smart um, anthropologists can't find the villages. They can only find the cave paintings. So they've decided we lived in caves. Anyway, Fair enough. in theory, right? We lived, we lived in caves. A man in the jungle, a, a man in a piece of territory that has predators, a man's survival is, is pretty good. You know, he can make himself spears, he can fight, he can survive injury, he can fall off a cliff and, you know, rub himself down and just get back, back on the horse. Uh, women are a little bit more vulnerable. They're a little smaller, a little weaker, uh, a little um, slower, typically thinner skulls, less muscle, less armor. So women are very vulnerable to the environment, hostile environment compared to a man. So it is an ideal survival strategy for the female to find the strongest man she can and shack up in his cave. Yeah. Because he's got it. Food is provided, shelter is provided, um, protection is provided. And even though we've moved on a little bit from those days, the deep levels of the mammalian brain haven't changed much in 100,000 years. So when my girlfriend sees me being a little indecisive, a little worried, there is a primitive part of her biology that kicks in and says, this caveman may not have his shit together. Yeah. And me and, me and the kids got to survive. So a couple of things are now going to happen. She's going to start to test my frame. She's going to start to throw shit at me to see if I'm solid or not. Most arguments from your woman 
are not real arguments. They're frame tests. She's testing if you're solid or not. Wow. If, you, if you pass the test by being solid and sure of yourself and calm and loving, mm. she can go back to being relaxed. If you fail the test by making excuses, by trying to redirect her angst, by trying to blame others, by saying, oh, no, no, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine, when it's obviously not, that's failing the test. She's going to become more stressed. And I hate to say it, but there is a biological imperative that can begin to kick in to find a stronger caveman. Mm -hmm. A lot of men lose their women, not because they're bad guys, but because they displayed a lot of weakness and a lot of insecurity and a lot of insurity in themselves and not enough self-belief and self-confidence that he was going to take care of business. Yeah. Dude, that's badass, bro. That's powerful, bro. Guys out there listening to this, man, if that's your situation now, man, where you and your wife are at each other's throats, it's time to, it's time to, it's time to pull away and do some triage, some self-diagnosis and uh, see where you're at as a man. Dude, that makes so much sense, bro. I can think of times where years ago, man, like I just got out of prison, bro. I, from like 12 to 25, I was in the judicial system. Like nobody raised me, didn't know how to be a man, didn't know how to hold a job, didn't know how to manage money, didn't know how to stay sober, didn't know nothing, nothing, nothing. And I had to learn all of that from scratch. And I got married pretty quick after I got out of prison, bro. And, um, and I'm learning how to be a man as a married man. And I'd have these moments, bro, where I would drop the ball completely, bro. And it, I can instantly tell like the amount of uncertainty that it causes in my wife when I'm floundering, there's been other times where I dug deep and I was like, man, I don't, I, that's it. I don't care what anybody thinks. Like I, I'm getting after it, man. And I remember going up to North Dakota the first time I went up there to work, man, cause Oldfield was booming. Wages were good. I borrowed 200 bucks for my mom, which is just sad in itself that I was at that point just for the gas, bro. And, and, and a loaf of bread and some peanut butter. And I drove my, my little bitty car all the way up there, dude. And I slept on the ground next to my car, dude, for like two or three weeks until I started getting some paychecks and sending them home. And instantly things began to change. And not only with my wife, bro, but like my wife's family, like when they found out I was sleeping on the ground by my car, just so that I could make money and get this thing going, like the level of respect, like from my in-laws was pretty amazing dude they're like what he's sleeping he's sleeping on the ground like what and uh yeah we never looked back at that point bro we've been getting after it ever since but that is so powerful bro as far as the relational dynamic um yeah good stuff man i don't want to shift gears man but i got a lot of questions i wanted to get your opinion let on me, let me add, let me add one thing oh, one, one one thing please i know there are men who listen to this who are having a beast of a time at home there will come a time if you don't change trajectory mm. where she will say these words, I love you, but I'm not in love with you anymore. Yeah. That is almost the point of no return. When she kicks you out or she moves out or she serves you with divorce papers, it's done. Yeah. Biology has won. You're trying to argue at an intellectual level about why you guys should be together anymore. Her mm. biology has decided you are not the guy. I have seen men waste so much time 
when a woman has already decided to move on. And you know, this is not a diss to women. Um, I love women so much. They're the coolest people on the planet. But in my observation, most women who leave already found a new caveman. Women don't leave until that new caveman is in place. Mm. And uh, then they're gone and you can't get them back. The best thing you can do as a man at that point is spend some time working on yourself. Mm -hmm. Get yourself healthy. Deal with what you did. Take responsibility. And um, in most cases, you need to get yourself back on the market as mm -hmm. a new and better man. Learn the lesson. Take your licks. Yep. But if you're not there yet, it can absolutely be saved. And it can be saved in a moment. Mm. Or at least it can begin to be saved in a moment. If you've lost trust, of course, that takes some time to get mm. that back. It takes some time. You can begin moving out of the wrong direction and doing a UE and heading in the right direction very quickly. Yeah, no, I like that, bro. I think one of the things that would fight a marriage or make a man begin to uh, not not be the favored, not be the favored pick of his lady would be impulsivity. This is something I see in a lot of guys where we are stricken with impulsive behavior. It's we go to work because we have to, but when we get home, it's a half rack of Coors Light because nobody's drinking Bud Light anymore, right? It's a half rack of Coors. <laughs> it's a half rack of Coors Light. And, uh, you know, and even married guys check out drunk to their favorite Pornhub video and they get up and do it all over again, you know? And it's the way we eat, it's drinking, it's it's all these different things that cater to the flesh. Why are guys engaging in this behavior? Obviously, some distraction is going on there, but what's up with this impulsivity plague that's going on? Yeah, man, it's everywhere, always has been. Uh, I'm going to use a different word, if I may, just from Please. the way that I see things. Uh, impulsivity is actually often a positive with women. Uh, women generally are attracted to men who make rash, uh, aggressive decisions mm. because it often demonstrates confidence mm. for the most part. Um, what I see, Nick, is um, distraction and sedation. Uh, they're both very, very similar, right? Sedation is putting yourself to sleep. Distraction is looking at one thing so you'd have to look at a different thing. <clears throat> there's a lot of pain in life. There's a lot of pain inside of ourselves. And there's a lot of difficult truths uh, to our reality. And humans are professionals at distracting themselves from all of this. So when you're not happy with yourself, when you're not happy with your life, that's tremendously painful to sit with and stare at and think about. Mm. It's a lot easier to sedate that pain with uh, sedatives like alcohol or drugs. It's a lot easier to distract from that pain by po watching porn or Netflix or gossiping or watching sports. All those things are, you know, good or bad. They're just distractions. Um, <clears throat> so I, uh, I, I just had a glass of wine, Nick. I hope that's okay. Um, I don't drink much, but I do drink sometimes. Mm. Uh, I know myself pretty well. When I drink a glass of alcohol, I do it for a couple of reasons. Uh, I do it because I'm looking for better connection. Uh, you know, you might do that on a date or at a, a party. You know, you just, just you're, the alcohol helps people connect a little bit better. Mm. I'm a one and done guy because I know my limit, but mm. alcohol is a powerful connector. I'll use alcohol as an example here. Alcohol can be used to access creativity. There are, I probably want to say 97% of men 
when we use drink or drugs, we become a worse version of ourselves. Yeah. But there's a small percentage of us who become fucking geniuses and write the world's greatest novels and paint the world's greatest artworks after some opium and some whiskey. <laughs> Here's the thing. If you don't know yourself, you don't know which you are. And most of us are not that latter one, right? Most of us mm -hmm. become idiots when we have too much drink or drugs. Mm -hmm. But anything, here's my, here's my point, I guess. Anything can be used either as a sedative and distraction or it can be used for connection and creativity and inspiration. So we just have to know ourselves. Yeah. I think that when you do a, uh, a distraction fast, you begin to be forced to deal with the pain you're carrying. In the early 2000s, when I was in Japan, I had uh, some mentors who were training me in manhood. I went through a lot of the training there. And then I said, hey, I'm, I'm ready for another level. And uh, we called that level warriorship. It was the same training, but just at a higher level of contribution, a higher level of protecting the people around you. And that was about a two-year apprenticeship for me. And for about seven, maybe eight or nine months, I basically lived like a monk. Uh, I slept on the floor. I didn't drink. I ate really simple foods, no music, no TV, no sex, no nothing. Just a lot of uh, walking around, training martial arts, meditating and living very simply. And the reason that I did that training was because it forced me to deal with a lot of stuff that I've been carrying inside of myself, my frustration, my pain, the things that I wanted to hide from. When I did that training, I couldn't hide anymore. I just had to face it feel it, process it. Mm. And then I came out the other side and I'd never felt so light and unencumbered in my life. Mm. So I recommend to all men, whether you're training yourself in manhood or masculinity or whatever, uh, go through a season of saying no to distractions. And it's going to be painful because there's pain there already. You just weren't paying attention to it. Mm -hmm. And if you, if you can do it for a few months, some point in there, there's going to be a moment where you almost feel like it's too much. And you just want to run back to all your habitual distractions. But that's the moment when you have to kind of hold fast and ground yourself. And that's when it all starts to come up. That process, if you do it for a couple of months, can completely change who you are. Mm -hmm. Completely. And when you get rid of that pain and you're no longer needing to be distracted like a, a monkey being given a banana, some magical things happen. You start to have a bigger vision. You start to be more creative. You start to become a lot better at reading people. Uh, you become better at reading people because you know yourself. And when you know yourself, you can read and anticipate others very, very easily because we're all the same. And you begin to just be much more present with people. And I think what it really does is, you know, we, we're all walking around with this, these chains on our heart, man. Like all of us, we got this, this armor on our heart and we can't fucking feel and we can't fucking express ourselves. We can't fucking share our emotionality and our humanness with people. Mm -hmm. And when we break through those distractions and those, you know, those things we've talked about, Nick, you start to break those shackles on your heart. And I think that's where the real change starts to come from. I like it, bro. It's good, man. So as we wind down here, man, I got three questions I want to ask you. Two of them are for the audience. One of them is for you. The last one is for you on a personal level. 
First one I want to ask you, bro, what is the cost present and long-term for guys that refuse to get in the fight and get solid? What is the cost? What is the, co <clears throat> what is the cost? Yeah. It's your fucking life. Your life. Your life. Nick, there's a lot of speculation historically, religiously about what hell may or may not look like. Okay. I'll tell you my hell. My hell is I die. And then for eternity, I have to watch like a movie theater screen where it shows me who I could have become, yeah. what I could have created, the legacy I could have created for my family and all the missed opportunities because I didn't fucking show up to my own life. That would be hell. You wouldn't have to poke me with hot pokers or set me on fire or anything. Just mm. show me how I didn't take advantage of my life. Yeah. And so, yeah, man, I think the cost of not every single day stepping up, stepping in, reinventing yourself, facing the pain, facing the fire, and just saying, how can I be the man that I know, I know I could be? Um, it, the, the cost is your entire life. Yeah, I like it, bro. And of course, the reciprocal for that is, what's the potential impact of becoming the best version of yourself as a man? Hard to say. Hard to say. You might, uh, you might like yourself. That could be dangerous. Uh, you <laughs> might look in the mirror and think, uh, man, I used to be a real dick, but uh, I like this guy. I'm actually pretty proud of who I've become. And uh, you know what? Maybe I should share him with other people a little bit more because that might make their lives a little bit better. Yeah. Um, and, you know, maybe one day, you know, after I'm dead, my kids might be so proud of me mm. and tell their spouses and their kids like how great their grandfather was. Yeah. Um, I, I, I just think the, the upside is you might have a great life mm. and, and you might enjoy it and you might build some really great shit. Yeah, I love it, man. Awesome. Simon, for you, when you get to the end, what would you personally have liked to have accomplished with your life? What are you building? What are you trying to accomplish? Uh, that's a good one, man. You know, sometimes it changes on the daily. Um, to, be, to be honest with you, Nick, I, I was blessed in my life with just incredible mentors, some of whom are dead, some of whom don't really teach much. Uh, I just was in the right place at the right time. And I was a stupid kid. And I said, Hey, you know, I'm, I'll take some punishment. Let's go. Uh, I want to pass on as much as, of that as I can. Uh, I'm, I'm probably a far worse vessel for that material and communicator than my teachers were, but I've been given a real um, head, head, up, head above others or a big step up, I guess, just mm -hmm. in terms of some wisdom and some basic understandings. I, I want on my last day to look back and say, hey, you know, I, I've made some people's lives better. You know, I, I changed some things around. Um, I've already done that to, to a small degree. Uh, I know I'm capable of a lot more of that. Um, I, you know, I, 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 I want to make a lot of money also, but I want to do it in the right way, helping people significantly. I, the value that I get from others, uh, I want to I give back a thousand times more. Um, money for me is an interesting one. I, I actually see money as a very spiritual journey. Mm -hmm. I don't re really care about the, the money itself. Money is um, a stand-in for freedom in our system. 
Yeah. Uh, I, I want, I want to have so much freedom to do what I want the way I want. And I want to pass that freedom onto others. And, and I think that the, a lot of us have a real negative opinion about wealth and money and it's, it's holding us back because it, money doesn't make you into an asshole. People with money who are assholes were assholes when they didn't have any money. Mm. If you're a good man, I think you should have maximum contribution, maximum freedom, maximum wealth, and just share it with your tribe. That's our job is to share it with our tribe. Yep. We as men, we shouldn't live for ourselves. We should, we should live for others, but in the process, build ourselves a great life. Yeah. I love it, dude. No, getting, just getting back to money and uh, generosity is what came to mind when you were talking about that. I think being a conduit for money, this is something that's really picked up for me here recently, man. I was at Dairy Queen of all places, bro, just to chase a little rabbit a couple of days ago. And this guy walked up to me, bro. He was a vet, um, rough looking. I mean, like he'd been sleeping outside, you know, like kind of a thing came in with his girlfriend and um, he had a cane, blah, 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 the whole situation. And he walked up to me and asked if I was a vet. I said, I, I told no, no, I, I ended up going to prison, but I wasn't able to join that. If I could go back, bro, if we, all of us, if we could go back, we'd be Navy SEALs, right? <laughs> if only. Mm -hmm. But he, he's like, hey, bro, um, you think you could help me and my lady out with something to eat, bro? And um, I stood up instantly. And uh, I'm not rolling in it, bro. You know what I mean? A lot of, and you know, there's a lot of guys out there that probably aren't. Um, we're doing okay, but um, I stood up instantly, bro. And I was like, you got the courage to ask me for food. I'm going to take care of you, bro. And uh, got up, walked up to the cash register with him. He ordered two number ones for him and his lady. I swiped the card. It was like 30 bucks or something or somewhere 27 bucks or whatever. And um, two days later, uh, some guy offered to buy the RV that my wife and I have been trying to get rid of for longer than a student loan. We've been trying to get rid of this damn thing, dude. And uh, it's and it was kind of beat up a little bit, you know. And I was worried we weren't going to be able to get rid of it, man. The guy offered me 10k for it, bro, cash on the spot, bro. And I was like, dude, there's something to it, bro. When you when and we don't just give whatever, whenever, bro. But I'm the kind of guy that if I see somebody on the side of the road, dude, and they got their sign or whatever, even if they're going to get a beer. I don't give a shit, dude. Like, I know that life, bro. I used to live under a bridge in El Paso, Texas with nothing to my name, bro, but warrants and track marks up and down both of my arms, dude. And I know that life. And um, I think when we, I think a key to financial blessing and financial increase is to be open. Uh, I'll say it like this, as the spirit leads to be generous at the right time and to be willing to help people. And yeah, it was a really good thing. I don't even know how that came up there, bro. But yeah, for sure. So if guys want to continue the conversation with Simon, check you out, check out your coaching programs and see what you're all about. I'll have all this in the show notes for sure. But how do guys track you down, man? See what you're doing. Uh, you can find me on Facebook, Simon Smart, S-M-A-R-T. Uh, on Instagram, Simon J. Smart. Um, I'm pretty easy to find on social, on TikTok. Mm. Um, hey, man, if you, if you got something out of this uh, show, uh, indulge my ego a little bit. Find me on one of those platforms. Send me a message. Say, hey, man, here's what I learned. Mm. Or, hey, man, you're a real dick. 
I didn't like you. Here's why. Very good answer. Uh, either or, you know, they say they say any response is better than no response, right? And Nick, man, I I I love that story you shared. It's about sharing. It's about passing it on. Uh, I have no doubt that that financial step up that you took was because you're willing to let go. Yeah. The 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 enemy of being wealthy is clinging on to it. Clinging yeah. on to money is the worst thing you can do. Uh, there's a wonderful man, Stuart Wilde. He's dead now. I heard him once say, he said, uh, money is like, wealth is like manure. If you pile it up in one place, it stinks. Mm. But if you spread it around, it makes everything grow. Yeah. And I think, I think that's the way to look at it. I think that, um, you know, I've really worked a lot on my relationship with wealth over a lot of years. You know, I, I was really a real idiot with it once upon a time. And, and I look at it like, you know, we're, we're stewards of it. It's not ours. We're just being asked to look after it. And so my model is if I have some money come into my, uh, my, my uh, locus of control, mm. my job is to find the highest and best use for it. And sometimes that's investing. Sometimes it's like buying a motorcycle. I was a guy I was talking to this morning who was a little embarrassed because he said the highest and best use he could think of for 10,000 pounds was to buy an Indian motorcycle. Yeah. And my response was, dude, for you, that is the highest and best use. The amount of joy and freedom and life that's going to bring to you, go do it. Go yeah. do it. Um, so I think, uh, I think that's a great story, man. I love that. So yeah, I'm on, I'm on Facebook. I'm on Instagram. Uh, come say hi. I would love to get any feedback on any of the boneheaded ideas I may have accidentally shared uh, <laughs> while talking to my friend Nick here. Yeah, no, you guys will love his TikTok videos. They're great, man. We got the big, burly, bearded Mohawk, Simon Smart with a cigar in his mouth, just letting all the fathers know on Father's Day, hey, you guys are okay, man. You're doing it right. Yeah. That one warmed my heart, bro. I fell in love with you with that video, dude. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Fellas. I do, man. I do. And, and you know, I, I still feel that way, man. I, like the vast morass of men who can't be bothered to even try fucking piss me off so much. Mm. Uh, in fact, they piss me off so much. I don't even think about them. Mm. But the small group of men who are willing to do the work and try to uh, bring themselves up a few levels and just look after their families, look after their kids, man. Like I would do anything for those guys. Like those are the most powerful men on the planet. Mm. And what I want for them is I want them to just succeed and, and get more out of their life and just be happy with themselves, be confident with themselves, believe in themselves a little bit more. Dude, that's what I want, man. Awesome. So I'm glad that was in that video. Yeah, love it, man. Love it. All right, cool, man. Simon, you always bring the goods, brother. We're gonna have to get you back on here in a little bit. Um, I'm gonna let you get back to your evening. It's uh, awfully late here in San Antonio. It's way past my bedtime, bro. But no, I but I I, I made sure I, I was gonna stay up for this one. I told my wife, hey, I got Simon's coming on tonight, man. Like, I came home and took a nap and all that and got ready or whatever. So but uh, yeah, it's good, dude. So guys, check out his stuff. Check out his social media. And um, Simon, talk soon, man.